Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast, brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, John. Good to be back. <laughs> Any other kind of key key takeaways or interesting points? Yeah. I didn't realize that there's no like federal motor carrier standards in Australia, that all the trucking regulations are state by state. Yes. That's a good call out. Yeah. That's, that's something that's very different. It blew my mind that the rail gauge is different between Queensland and New South Wales. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a real throwback, but Queensland's a little different. So they kind of like it like that up there. I don't understand. Australia's Texas. (laughs) Everything's bigger and different. You know, they they kind of, they like it like that. (laughs) Uh, I just, it, it boggles my mind that we had. Not helpful for everywhere else, but. Um, or building things like high-speed rail between the three major cities in Australia that have probably 80% of the population. Right. But, um, or moving freight, uh, obviously, hay and grain and a lot of coal up in uh, right. up in Queensland, which would be great to be able to get cheap and easy, get to, uh, <laughs> down, to the, down to the power stations that support the two largest cities in Melbourne and Sydney, uh, but without changing without changing the trains, but it is what it is, I guess. Right. I mean, It's a throwback to uh, when Australia was just six colonies. Right. You know, I think back in the late um, 19th century that they all were all kind of just running as their, like the original 13 states here in America. Right. Um, they're all just kind of doing their own thing and building their own infrastructure and then Australia wasn't wasn't federated, wasn't formed as its own country until 1901, and uh, yeah, a lot of the railroads had already been done by then. Boggles boggles my mind because yeah. we had the Transcontinental Railway in 1869, mm-hmm. and every school kid in the U.S. learns about Promontory Point and the Golden Spike that they drove mm-hmm. to connect East Coast and West Coast, right? Yeah, yeah, I I, I would. I would probably be in support of a national rail gauge, bare minimum. Argue about yeah. everything else, but at least put the rail, the the rails, the same distance <laughs> apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's funny that you take away. I guess living, growing there, growing up there, you don't sort of think about that stuff. But that is kind of uh, yeah. Like if you don't want a railroad dumb. in your backyard, <laughs> have that have that discussion. <laughs> If you don't want a railroad yeah. going through your city, have that discussion, but at least put the stupid rails the same distance apart. <laughs> so yeah. at least you have the options. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, boy. So uh, that was the, the AFIA conference. Um, uh, was there any, any... It was very much like any Hay conference that I've been to in, in the U.S. I mean, we have some really good ones. Uh, the Western Alfalfa Conference is every other year in Reno. That's a great one. The the World Alfalfa Congress kind of moves around. It was in San Diego last fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, dare I say, the Northwest Hay Expo in mm-hmm. January is is a great conference. And I would say the AFIA Conference was on par with any one of the, Well, maybe not the World Alfalfa Congress. There were lots of people at that one. But uh, mm-hmm. AFIA was well attended. 
And that's fantastic. Great, sending great, a couple photos and yeah, great seminars right. and good entertainment and, and equipment out in the parking lot after the the field day. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's great to hear that it was well supported, and uh, it was frustrating for me that you were there and I wasn't, given <laughs> that it was kind of held in my hometown. So right. maybe maybe next time. But um, glad to hear that there was a lot of farmers there getting getting behind it, and I think it might have been the first one they've had since COVID, or the second one. I think this. I think last year. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think last year they were at yeah. Toowoomba. Okay. Okay, well, either way, glad to see a full house there and things kind of getting back to normal for this kind of stuff. So that's good. Yeah. And and from there you went to, uh, I think you went to you went up to Hopeton, up to the sort of northwest of, of southern Australia. Yes. Is that right? So I think I can take you through my, my journey here, and I, I hope this brings a smile to all the farms that I stopped at. But I stayed the night in Echuca down to Rochester and then mm-hmm. to Kerrang. And Bort, and then mm-hmm. down to St. Arnaud, where I stayed, and then to Warwick Nabell. And this is getting out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mentioned all these places. Center of the universe, you mean, John. Right. Well, center of the grain <laughs> universe. There, That's right. Yeah. There's some big grain handling facilities there. And I got to tour some of that. And it was just absolutely amazing the stories about rules on grain trucking and, and how you can build an empire with uh with grain trucking in a good year yeah absolutely <laughs> and then like i said from warwick nabelle on up to uh hopeton that was oh uh somewhere between warwick nabelle and and uh hopeton they turned on john williamson and i was listening to songs about a mally boy and true blue <laughs> and <laughs> And you didn't get out of the car while it was still moving. <laughs> well, I was you trying didn't to... You sort of just under the seatbelt and say, this will do me and just get out. <laughs> I, I was trying you can't to... Because you can't have that effect on some people. <laughs> I, I was trying to soak in all the Australian culture. I was I was trying to learn and ask questions and enjoy it. That's right. But I, I'm uh, told if you're Australian, you're a good you, guest. you've heard uh, True Blue... True Blue is kind of a iconic song. What would, I'm not, I, I don't know America well enough yet to know the equivalent, but it's uh, it has a lot of references to very Australian things, yes. very kind of earnest, um, slow country song. But right. yeah, it's um, kind of a kind of a classic. I mean, it would be not quite in the same vein as Bruce Springsteen's "Born in the USA," but I mean, um, but getting close, certainly right? not the same pace. Yeah, but, uh, it, yeah, it's not the same style of song. It's it's a little bit more. Uh, okay. So we're gonna we're gonna call John Williamson kind of a country ballad singer. Sure. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. Nice. So there's a fantastic area you're visiting though up in the up in the Mallee there. So um, I think we got to we're at Hopeton, right? Yeah. And the thing that stuck out there, of course, was these fields that are 640 acres. They're square miles. And mm-hmm. and they didn't tell me this, but you explained this a little bit ago. Can you can you tell the story about how they got fields that are square miles up there? Yeah. So, I mean, probably the crash course on this area of northwestern uh, Victoria, which is in the southeast of Australia, just to confuse everyone entirely, um, is it was uh, originally sort of a lot of um, Mali Mali 
mallee bushes, we call it mallee forest, kind of low, low shrubs, lightly wooded areas that was cleared uh, around the turn of the 20th century to 20th century. I've got my centuries right there around the, yeah, yep. early 1900s. Started clearing it for sheep farming. It's good sheep country. Uh, and then at the end of World War One, which Australia had a lot of a lot of involvement in through its uh, being a part of the British Empire at the time, all, a lot of the returned servicemen were as part of their um, not reward, but um, the service were given low low level compensation. Low level right? Compensation is a good word, John. Yeah, compensation I mean, we, or in the, in the US we did the same thing after the Civil War. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a little bit to incur- encourage westward expansion after the Civil War. Yeah, very similar. But it was very al- similar. But it was also Civil War veterans did get uh, land grants. Yep. So these guys, I'm not sure they anyone got gifted land, but they got you know given given pretty good loans. The land was reasonably well priced, um, and they were given uh, you know encouraged to go up there and and clear the country to you know open up the country. Kind of Australia's version of, of uh, you know go west, yeah. Uh, manifest destiny. Yes, um, it was somewhat successful farming practices at the time on country that's uh, in a low rainfall area. So a lot of this country is anywhere from you know ten inches, twelve to eighteen inches. Yeah, so yeah. twelve to eighteen inches, and some years it's eight, and some years it's eighteen. So right. you can imagine when you you know pulling a pulling a a plow tilling the soil um, in an eight-inch rainfall on pretty sandy soil that, you know, the farming didn't go too well for a lot of those return servicemen, unfortunately. Right. Um, I wouldn't is, say it was it kind of a an, failure, but it didn't go too great. It is not <laughs> corn and soybean ground in Illinois. <laughs> yeah, it's not... Uh, <laughs> it it it's is not, not Midwest uh, yeah. corn and soybeans by no. any stretch of anyone's imagination. But when I was there... The crop conditions were pretty favorable, and and we had this they've discussion. Had a good year. Yeah, they've had they, a pretty good year. They've had a good year for sure. Mm-hmm. But we had this discussion about the farming practices, and when they sold all the plows and all the discs, they mm-hmm. started making money on farming, and they really have to no-till. Yeah, every yeah, everything out there is no-till. Very much so, um, and. Yeah, when they, you know, sheep was big for a long time. When you know Australia was was big into wool, that was that was good for a long time for those guys. But really, a lot of farmers, as you say, have just fully committed to the no-till, and a lot of those guys would have been really some of the early adopters of pure no-till in the world um, would have been in the Mallee in Australia just because of necessity. That yeah, um, you know, the sandy soil and getting low rainfall years. Um, if you're ploughing the soil, you just you know. Any topsoil you have just blows, you know, ends up in the in the Southern Ocean pretty much. Right. So I mean, I um, I still heard farmers talking about baling in the Mallee, and it would be so dusty behind the tractor that you couldn't see the baler. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stories like that. I mean, they bale at night to get the moisture. They they spray at night to you know to get when the temperature's low low enough because it gets very hot there in the summer. Right. Um, a lot of stuff's done at night just to try and take a bit of the heat heat out of the operation. And when you one say and when you say hot, it's a hundred and ten yeah, degrees Fahrenheit. Hundred plus, hundred plus for a lot of weeks yeah. through summer. 
um, and a dry heat. Think of Arizona, yeah, type type temperature and type humidity. You know, very very low humidity and hot, dry. Yeah. yeah. So really not great for running livestock anyway. Right. So no till no till works um, works well, but of course brings its own challenges. But yeah, need need the scale, need the big the big the big scale as well, which is why you see the they were showing you the the seven hundred and forty acre. 640 it's a 640 acre in the square paddocks, mile yeah yeah as yeah. we call them fields as you would say yeah paddocks, as we say yeah it, it only took me hmm, two-thirds <laughs> the trip to to say paddock instead of field yeah now now i have this stuck in my head that when i talk about uh, i'll i'll talk about paddocks in australia and fields mm-hmm. in the u.s and they're two different things That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. With the 605 in, I feel I can go to the field and we just bail. We're not stopping. We're not adjusting. It's ready to go and it goes. I spend more time bailing with less issues that I've had with other bailers in the past. I'm Ken Moses and I get more hay put upright with the 605N Vermeer Bailer. Hear the full story at makinghay.com slash haykings. So we got to Hopeton and then you, you continued on sort of Yeah, then we westward. then we beat feet for South Australia. So we mm-hmm. went went down through Nil. There's a bakery in Nil that I will return to someday in my life. The bread there was divine. <laughs> Fantastic. You do have great bakeries in Australia. So much better yeah, than anywhere in the States. Kind of. So when you say bakery, it's it's probably more like I guess you could almost call it like a deli to think to give it an American synonym, couldn't you? Yeah. It's more like a. It's not really like a cake. It's not really like a cake place. Right. Um, they do sell cakes, but it's not like right. It, it's it kind is, of like a cross between a Jimmy John's, um, a, a, a subway, a, a gas station, uh, yeah, subway, um, a deli. Yep. And then they also. We'll do stuff like milkshakes and sometimes hot takeout food like yep. hamburgers. It's kind of a – and then they often meat in pies. a small town will also be the – meat pies also be like the post office as well built into this place. So it's <laughs> kind of a, a, one, a one-stop shop for everything. Yes. And they are great. I do miss that about living here. There's a lot of great food here. Don't get me wrong. But, right. Um, you know, I, you don't find it in Australia, but um, those bakeries, country bakeries, you kind of can't beat them. Ah, so good. I think I heard it pronounced Meningi, but you were you had a different pronunciation. I think yeah, Meningi. I'm not from that part of town, so maybe someone can text you and let you know. But okay. I would say I'd say yeah, Meningi. Okay, with uh, a big emphasis on the the IE Meningi. Right. <laughs> the Australian girl. <laughs> right. I did notice that there was a a dialect. There, there was a diff- not a dialect, uh, an an accent in Austra- mm-hmm. in South Australia that was different, mm-hmm. certainly than Queensland. Well, in South Australia, they they don't say the L's. <laughs> it's it sounded almost British to me. That's interesting. I'd love to hear that. People in Adelaide will be really chuffed that you're really happy with you that their accent sounds uh, English because the background of that is that uh, the rest of Australia was kind of founded by you know criminals from England, <laughs> right. but South Australia was um, the free state, so it was just people who wanted to go there. 
Ah. Um, you know, sort of the, the gentry just went there because they wanted to be there, so they weren't necessarily the commoners and they had a bit of a clipped accent. So, right. um, yeah, they, they have a bit more of a proper way of speaking, whereas the, the Queenslanders, they kind of, they got their own drawl as well up there. They, they kind of, all the words definitely run together. When you're talking to a proper Queenslander, it's sort of this, there's no breaks. It's just all one word in their sentence, which is great. <laughs> oh boy! But then you saw it. You said you saw some big gr- on farm hay storage. We shouldn't skip over that. Oh, just about every place that we stopped at was were very large farmers. These hay producers were anywhere from like a minimum of two thousand acres to I think the biggest one we were on was fourteen thousand. Yeah. All okay. all very sophisticated agribusinesses. Largely still family owned and family operated. They're very much family businesses. They're just big. They're just very big. They also put a tremendous amount of hay in a shed. Now we we would call them. I'd, I'd probably call them barns. But if you talked about a hay shed, it would make perfect sense to me. So I'm we're kind of splitting hairs on that one. These hay sheds are big, like four thousand tons per shed. And I was on mm-hmm. several several farms that had more than one of those sheds mm-hmm. yeah very so very large operations they kind of got multiple uh telehandlers lifting the, the eight by four by three bales nine to twelve high yes oh yeah they're stacking nine high easy and i did mm-hmm. see some 12 high with the eight string crone bales absolutely mind-boggling but i would say i was surprised how light they were on equipment complement for doing that much area, for mm-hmm. for harvesting that many acres. I, I think there's some efficiencies that you get. I mean, definitely there's efficiencies that you get uh, when you're on 640 acres and there's two trees in the middle of the field somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I did take <laughs> away... flat, with no hills. <laughs> that's flat with no hills, absolutely. I mean, they're pulling three by four big square balers with 170 horse tractors. It is flat, flat country. And then and, uh, cutting, cut, plowing and cutting with, you know, 40 foot plow and 30, 30 foot or 40 foot cutter bar as well when they're cutting the hay. So you can, you can cover the country. But in this case, it's been a fairly good year and they were, they were firing up two 14 foot cutter bars in, in one operation. They were, they had two John Deere's and then I think they had two self-propelled swathers as well. But still, for twelve thousand acres, four four swathers sounds pretty. Got a long way to go. Pretty efficient. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty. I, I guess that's a function of uh, machinery costs are fairly expensive. You know, Australia is an island at the bottom of the world, so yep. a lot of that machinery is either made in America or up in Europe. Yeah, a lot of the John Deere stuffs made in Europe, I guess. So. Yeah. Uh, it's expensive. The currency isn't strong at the minute, so you kind of got to squeeze it pretty hard. That was that was one of my favorite takeaways. I got to the airport and they charged me. Oh, that you know, in an airport, it was twelve Australian dollars uh, for that first cup of coffee that I really, really needed. <laughs> <laughs> After that, uh, didn't flight. do that again. <laughs> right, uh, and it, and of course, I tapped my card. Because there's no swiping, there's no inserting for chips. There, there's and there's. I don't think I saw hardly any cash change change hands at all in Australia. But I got a ping on my phone because I have my card set to to ping me, and twelve dollars came across as seven dollars and eighty cents U.S. Yeah, the currency's uh, it's not great at the minute. 
if you're looking to, I mean, if you're selling stuff overseas, it's good because our stuff is cheap. Yeah, if you're exporting products out of Australia, it's great. <laughs> if you're looking to buy that, you know, German-made, top-of-the-line uh, John Deere, uh, yeah, Oof. not a, not a great time. You are going to spend money on that, absolutely. Yeah, or some of that Canadian, uh, you know, Bale Baron. Did you say you drove a Bale Baron as well? I did. One? Yeah, yep. I did. I, funny enough, I'm relatively close to bale barons are made relative to Australia for sure. So I had to go to yeah. the other side of the world to drive one for the first time. Yeah. I'm surprised there was a self-propelled one in Australia. I wasn't aware of that. It's a relatively new addition because I put okay. the seventh hour on the engine. Oh, okay. Wow. So it, it was brand new. <laughs> and that was, was this a, a farmer who's obviously big into the small squares? Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. this was up in Queensland. We were we were talking about Meningi. Yeah. Very hospitable folks there, and they were both on Hay Kings already, too. Two brothers down there. They have this mm-hmm. non-wetting sand, which is something that I is foreign to me. Mm. Uh, but they're hauling clay out onto some of these fields to mix with this sand. So it'll absorb... These are all things that I'm kind of babbling on here because I don't understand mm-hmm. them. But they did say I'm- that if they got... You know, 12, 12 mils of rain, a half an inch of rain, it would mm. all just run off and none of it would go into the ground. Mm. So they were doing some pretty serious soil amendments to grow crops on this ground. Yeah, it sounds, uh, I've never, that's, that's, uh, that would be fascinating to see. I've not heard of that. I know it does get sandy over there. That's kind of the, I guess, would they consider themselves to be on the air peninsula? I think it's in the general direction, but a similar type of soil. Yeah, Kurong. I got it. Yes. Uh, nice. it, it's some fairly sensitive habitat there that's kind of protected, and there's lots okay, of discussions yep. around the Kurong. Anyways. It sounds like they're doing a lot of advanced work to be able to make things work on their, on their farm. Yes, absolutely. Very, very sophisticated farms, uh, very sophisticated farmers, younger guys in their late 20s just going like heck. I, mm-hmm. I saw the dad, but the dad... I think he was kind of headed for semi-retirement and enjoying his boys running the farm and, and working hard. Oh, it's great to hear. Yeah, very, very prosperous farm from what I could see. Then we made it up towards uh, Freeling and Rupna. And if you're from South Australia, please, please write and let me know if I said that right. Because I, <laughs> I think I got it. But there's a, there's a oh, at, at Kapunda... There's a TV show that was filmed there. Um, is it McLeod's Daughters? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, he took yeah he took a photo uh, ten or fifteen years ago. A big TV show about uh, women on the farm, all on horseback. We were uh, saving the day, and we were at the restaurant that was the the restaurant in the TV show. So there was all sorts of memorabilia on the wall and signatures. And uh, I'm going to have to go and watch a couple of episodes of the show to know what it was about. Yeah, it was good. Good. Uh, you know, really serious, serious TV show. Uh, John, I think every week it involved them, you know, stopping a stampede on horseback. <laughs> Whenever I watched the episode, they always seemed to be stopping the stampede or saving saving something on horseback. So it was good stuff. Very popular with horse girls. Right, right. Horsey people. So no, it was a good show. We actually had a gathering of uh, hay producers at Freeling at the barns. And if you're and if you're from the area, you know what I'm talking about. 
absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic uh, wedding venue, I'm told, most of the time. But they were the family was nice enough to host a group of hay, hay growers there. Great. Yeah, that was a terrific photo you shared. It'd be worth putting up on social media for other folks to see what you can do with that old silo out the back. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, turn it turn it into some uh, on farm accommodation and Airbnb. It's pretty that, clever what they've done there. Absolutely amazing. And they had pictures of the old equipment sheds in quite the state of disrepair, and they completely went in and remodeled them, and just made a beautiful, beautiful event center, wedding venue. Absolutely gorgeous. 10 out of 10 stars. There were a couple of other things that I saw in there that we really don't have in the States. I, we, there's a couple of uh, chaff producers, and chaff is huge in Australia. Yeah. And yeah, okay. pretty much not quite non-existent in the States. I, I know there's at least one guy in Arizona doing it. That chaff, they take the bales in, they, they deconstruct the bales, so they're kind of ripping them apart like those teasers. Mm-hmm. And then they're steaming the hay a dry steam, I'm told, 90 PSI Mm -hmm. dry steam. And then they're running it through a stationary chopper Mm -hmm. and then bagging it. Bagging it into 20 20 kilos, kilos. so 50-pound bag. Somewhere in there, yeah. And then they sometimes add a few supplements to it to make it tasty. So molasses is the common one. I've never seen one of those operations. So Uh, that's big in in Maryborough, which you didn't visit. Oh, I was in. Uh, I was at Oxley's. You went to Oxley's. Okay, yep. I was just going to say, yep. That's uh, shout out Very to those close. folks too. They were they were a wonderful hosts to tour, uh, to to allow me to come in. I'm I'm most grateful. Yeah. So there's Oxley's there, and then there's uh, two or three in Marybar, Cranberries and Southern Cross Feed. I think is still going. I'm not sure about that, but um, yeah, chaff is is a big time. So mainly for horses. Not sure how or why it's so popular in Australia and not in America, but just, yeah, very unique to Australia, really. There is some in the U.S., but it, it's not nearly as popular as it is in Australia. Yeah, and a lot of people, um, I guess, yeah, it's it's kind of, yeah, ground up hay. When I was a kid, um, which isn't, you know, I'm 35 now, so not 100 years ago, um, there were still farmers in central Victoria who would do the, the sheaf hay. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they would, they would do the sheaf hay of oat and hay and then take it to the chaff mill because that would feed a lot better than, you know, a round bale or a big square, which has kind of been smooshed up. The, the sheaf hay would feed nicely and would give you those nice, imagine like a macaroni pasta, like, you know, the oh. sort of the little, the nice, the nice little square, nice little round tubes. Um, so what you have to think about is as that's going into the chopper and, and imagine, if you're familiar with a, a silage chopper, if you had mm-hmm. all of the stems laying exactly the same way, every single mm-hmm. piece would be just identical. Yeah. Yeah. I so under- that was the idea with the sheaf hay. But, so but they with the. Uh, probably like 10 or 15 years ago, you would still see that around and they would, they would take it in. You know, there'd be guys out there with pitchforks and they'd pitch it into the, the chaff chopper, but uh, it's kind of just became too inefficient. Yeah. That sounds. That sounds of, like something of, magical to watch, but I, I bet you, like on the you second, want to be the, you, you, you never wanted to be the guy feeding the chaff in. No, you never want to be the last guy kind of feeding it in because a lot of those guys didn't have five fingers Ugh. on each hand. You know, they right. got a bit stuck. Sometimes they just got a bit close, <laughs> <laughs> right. missing the end of the fingers. Oh, jeez. But um, 
yeah, it's big, big in Australia. So um, I, I'm not sure if they talked about this or if you could add more, but if, if it's still maintaining its popularity or with a lot of horsey people are maybe starting to steer clear a little bit of it due to the... I don't have a good uh, answer to that. Yeah. I know you some. it's a bit hit and miss. Some horse people don't like it because if the additives can, you know, mess with their horse's hmm. uh, gut, you know. I mean, molasses um, isn't Some the, people love it. Molasses isn't the worst thing in the world, right? Everybody knows what molasses is, but I could see how maybe some horses would have troubles with it. Yeah. But I don't think there's so any additives in the stuff that I saw. It was just straight cut. Yep. Just Cut just, yeah. just oat and hay. Yep. I think this has been a great discussion, and I want to say thank you very much, James. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's good to have a good chat about uh, my home country. Mm-hmm.